Welcome everybody to Laneway Talks and today we're talking to Sean Mill Joan from Violetine, one of the Laneway artists and we're going to have a bit of a chat about his background in music, where he came from, where he's been and where he's going now as he's still a very prolific and very involved musician. Sean, how are you? Well, Benson, how are you going? I'm good. We start off our interviews, Sean, with just talking about where you uh, where you grew up and you know, uh, was that in Melbourne or was it interstate or overseas? Yep, grew, I grew up in Melbourne in Brighton. And um, yeah, went to, went to school around there. Did you get involved in music in an early age, or were you more a late yeah. a late bloomer? No, um, my family's quite musical. My grandfather was actually a professional guitar player. Oh wow! Yeah, my auntie was a guitar teacher. So she gave me my first guitar when I was about five. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. No, <laughs> um, which I automatically played left-handed, but everyone made me spin it around the other way. And <laughs> so I, may, I, I might actually be a left-hander, I don't know. <laughs> but everyone told me I had to do it the other way because I was given a right-handed guitar. So, well, if that, um, if that was the case then, uh-huh. did you get lessons? Yeah, yeah. They, they had lessons at primary school and then yeah. I... Um, yeah, had a lady that used to come to my house every week. Yeah, you've got that. You've got that going from an early age. Yeah. What kind of flavour of music are you getting into, or is there no real flavour of music at this stage? No, it's just music. I, I, was, I, I was I was just obsessed at that stage with um, all the glam stuff, the sweet Gary Glitter. Elvin yeah. Stardust, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Oh, there's a and name. I still love it. That's a great name, Elvin Stardust. El- yeah, Elvin. <laughs> you know, I um, My you know, well, I can say to everybody that uh, you know, I was putting together a Night Moves DVD, and we had some Elvin Stardust footage, and I approached Elvin yeah, right. Stardust to put some in the uh, black leather. Yeah, to put to put. Well, I found we had these just terrific songs, and I I um, approached him, you know, overseas to. Could we put them on then? Uh, uh, under no circumstances. Whereas Peter Frampton was a different guy. He wanted it on there. Yeah. Alvin Stardust. There was no discussion. But what an artist! Oh, really? Yeah. So okay. And then, well, then then along came Susie Quattro, and I was <laughs> one of the biggest crushes of my life. I used to have her, her posters around my wall. I slept yeah. with Can the Can in my under my pillow for ages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, interestingly, let's think about the music there too of Susie Quattro. So you are yeah. talking a twelve-bar blue, essentially. Or, yeah. You know, um, and it's that, and and she she never really moved away from that. It resonates right through her music, uh, but that, yeah, but it that, was the edge she put to it. Yeah, because that's not you. Because there is no. no doubt about Sean Mill Joan, and we'll, we'll get to it later. Mm. Has a very unique sound, and I, I'll explore that a little bit later. As my opinion, so you've got that happening, but you haven't got a band yet. Then, so what are we talking? Well, Ten to fifteen, that age bracket. Yeah, we had a band at primary school when I was about probably ten, and we were called the Steel Machine. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we played a couple of played a couple of shows at at, at primary school. Yeah. Um, so where yeah, did you go that, to from there? Went to high school where we had a Sex Pistols cover band. Oh, okay. So we're talking like 77, 80? Yeah, that was like 79, 80. Yep. So it's all kind of um, happening, yep. And then when the once I saw the Sex Pistols, that, that's why the, the 12 bar went. So, I mean, even though they had those sort of rock and roll roots, but when I discovered the Sex Pistols, it was sort so, of that where have you been all my life moment. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, if I see where you've come from, and I go through the first artist you mentioned, then you get Susie Quattro, then you get to the Sex Pistols, and yeah. essentially, I I kind of I found music 
uh, the first time I found music, probably 73, 74, yeah. was Kiss, the first album, and then it became... Yeah, the, I love Kiss. I, well, then I it became the second... Did you? Well, this... Oh, I know. Yeah, I, I remember first, the tour. First ever gig. Yeah, I remember yeah, that, that the tour. First that was, show I ever went to. Was That was with the new drummer, correct? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then it was Sad Wings of Destiny, Judas Priest, which was their second album, but, and I, I kept in this flavour... That was my kind of flavour right through. But if I look... I never listened much to them. No, well, see, then I... I, Well, then I never did later on because I became that real metal, which I I don't particularly like as much. But have a look at where you're going. You're actually experiencing and liking quite a diverse range of music there, uh, you know, and then moving to the Sex Pistols, which always has an effect on your playing, I think. It's the creative juices that get educated through what you're listening to, and yours is actually quite diverse. So you're going to the Sex sex Pistols, so you're at high school and discovering, you know, all that kind of stuff, and you've got a band going, a covers band. Um, Yeah, we had a bit of it. Yeah, because we just used to play Sex Pistols covers all the time. So what happens after that? Do you say, oh, you know, I want to become a professional musician or...? No, I um, had a father that would, would, wouldn't ever allow that, <laughs> just become a professional musician. That was, you know, just to be a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> Until the day years and years later when, you know, he saw us playing in Sydney at yeah. the, uh, I can't remember what massive venue up there. And then after that, it was all, what are you doing with your music? It took, <laughs> yeah. took so, that long for him to come around. Well, 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 okay. So what did you do from high school? What, what did you From do? high school, yeah. I, my sister played keyboard, keyboard. So I had a, a band with her and a guy called Nick Green, who ended up playing for a Melbourne band, Hell Fallon. I don't know if you remember yeah. them. No, I remember them. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah. But, but what are you doing yeah. for work though? Are you, going, are you going to uni? Are you going um, to school? Or no, no, I, I got it politely asked to leave school oh. and I... <laughs> I would never have I thought from you, sure. Being a nice, <laughs> one of the nicest guys I know. Uh, yeah, that was my misguided youth. Yeah. So what happens? What, um, are, you, what are you doing? I start uh, just doing odd jobs as carpentry, which led to a carpentry apprenticeship. Oh, okay, builder. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, did that all the way along. So during that, so what are we talking now? Fifteen to twenty, that age bracket. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. so you, you, you know, you're becoming a builder, uh, but you're still playing music in a band. Yeah, with your sister playing music, and, and I'm playing. And then my, uh, yeah, Nick, who played with, yeah, with Hal Valen, he had a cover band on the side called Lord Jesus and the Swiss Cheeses. Right. That's a beauty. Yeah. Go yeah. on. <laughs> and we played. Uh, Credence, Rolling Stones, yeah, all the sixties revival sort of stuff. And yeah. oddly enough, our singer bass player, his name was actually John Fogarty. Oh yeah, very funny. So so that's what um, you're doing there. But have you written any original material by that? Well, stage? I'm writing original material all the way along, right? While I'm doing this, but yeah. once I played with the cover band, that really, you know, like live. Forays into playing live stuff previously just been a bit of a disaster, you know, like yeah. horrible, horrible PAs and singers that were, you know, too nervous to perform and all well, that sort Well, of essentially thing. honing your skill, really, because you, you <laughs> yeah. start to see all the mistakes that are made so you don't make them later on, yeah? That's right. So the cover band, which we'd have massive crowds and, you know, have some really good used to play you know, Sunday afternoons down at Chapel Street and yeah. had a few few different clubs we played at. Yeah, so that got the live thing, got me really confident and yeah. wanting wanting to do the live thing. Well, Whereas I just, before, I'd just been... Well, what I asked there are the more technical 
question is because I know what kind of guitars you use now because I find them yeah. a little bit out there. And what were you playing guitar-wise back then? Good question. Les Pauls, Fenders? Had, or? Yeah, I've always, I've, always had a, I've always had a Les Paul. Yeah. I've always had a couple of Les Pauls. Yeah. But I bought this one called an Aria Pro 2. Les Paul. Yeah. No, 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 it was just a, it was like a, a different version of a Strat. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so that's what you're leaning towards at that stage, yeah? Well, that's what I, it had humbuckers on it. And yep. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's why I bought it. But yeah, gotcha. It was a bit of a daggy guitar looking back on it. Yeah. But I, I like I the fender shape better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, yeah, okay. And, you know. And which led me to the Jaguars, which is all I play okay. now. Isn't it, don't you find that interesting how uh, individual musicians, and I ask the question all the time, uh, why do you play a Fender instead of a Gibson? And the, yeah. the wide, diverse answers I get really freak me out because it's from well, the look my, to my the hand, pickups to the neck. My hands aren't huge. Yeah. And the Gibson necks are quite like baseball bat, I find them, a little yeah. bit sort of chunky. Yeah. yeah. But I like the sound of the humbuckers. So once I could find a guitar that had the sort of thinner neck yeah. and also the, the, the sound of the, of the Gibson, then yeah. I was sort of stuck with that. That was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I think too that were you developing that sound that you have now, you have, and because for everybody listening, Violetine were a, a trio, which, which is kind of rare, and to be able to play in a trio and fill the sound out is extra, extremely unique. And you, mm. had, and you had that ability to, um, from your guitar, from the six string as opposed to the bass, uh, to yeah. fill that sound right out, you know. I mean, yeah, you're doing your lead breaks and all that, but outside of that, it was you always delivered a big sound. But that had to be honed, and it's a skill. So, yeah. So you're obviously honing that kind of sound, but not with covers because then covers are covers, correct? No, that's correct. Yeah. My first paycheck when I was finished my apprenticeship, first week, I bought a Marshall amp, oh. and that's what that's something I, that's something I'd always wanted, and then that started the sort of sound that. That's continued on to yeah. now, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're at the. We're, uh, do I say we're at the end of the? Um, at the end. Yeah, the the cover band. And at the end of the cover band, because in the last in the last few weeks that the cover band played, some guys that lived in in Punt Road who were looking for a guitar player came down that a friend had mentioned. Yeah. Then that's when I started with them. Yeah. We had so many names; it's ridiculous, but. That's what started us playing at the Punters Club and <clears throat> around Fitzroy, and yep. that, and it was all original. Yeah. So was it? This, uh, was that, that? Yeah, go on. Well, the thing for that was actually I don't know uh, if you know of Rob James. There was actually after Countdown, there was a show called Countdown Revolution. Yeah, I remember Countdown. And Revolution. it was and it was hosted by James Young and yeah. and Rob Rob right. James. Yeah, yeah. And Rob was that. our singer. Yep. Gotcha. Guy, guy, guy with the belt buckle as big as a dinner plate. All right. So and you, the, so you were the, the guitarist, not the singer. I was the guitarist. That's right. And he had he had the look and the yeah. and the connections and everything. But um, there was a, yeah, sort of we played a few gigs with him singing, and then he didn't like what we were doing. We didn't like what he was doing. So yeah. did you know that started, you did you know that you could sing, Sean, at that stage? I could, I, I couldn't sing. You couldn't sing. So you you weren't singing no. in the cover band. So it wasn't something you go no right. So no. what's going on then? So what happens when he well, goes? I, I, well, I'd already written my own songs. But I hadn't really put them to anyone and then tried to sing them. So right. with that band, was the first time that I sort of 
said, we'll try some of my songs and then I'll try singing them. Who's in the, who's um, in the band? Um, a guy called Benny Roney, who is actually owns a nightclub on the Gold Coast now. He used to own 161 in Chapel Street. Well, he sounds like a DJ, Benny, <laughs> doesn't he? Um, <laughs> I'm a DJ, Benny. Yeah. And there was uh, <laughs> Cal Law, who sadly passed away, and yeah. he was Cal? pretty well-known well in music. He, yeah. he used to manage the Foves. Yeah, uh, snout. Um, yeah, he'd done a lot in music. Interestingly, and I would plug you guys into that flavour of those bands too. Yeah, yeah. So that obviously there was a bit of spin. Yeah, and who else? Anybody else? Um, no, just a, a very drunken bass player who we had to say. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's come to an end. You, you, you know, yeah. the singer's gone. You're not quite happy. What What are we doing? Are you? You know, I sang my first gig ever. What was up there was there used to be a pub under down Punt Road that's not there anymore. Underneath the overpass, you know, down at Richmond. Hold on. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I know that. That was the old hotel on the corner there. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember yeah. going to see Taste there and um, yeah. and the like. Yeah, yeah, I know it really well. Yeah. So that was your was, first gig. Cold. I was going to say the water. It wasn't the water. No, no, it wasn't. Gig. No, no. But I do that I remember was my clearly. First. Yeah, first singing gig, and that was supporting Phil Parra. Remember Phil yeah, Parra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hold on, what, why did you sing, though? What did you do? Did you just go to rehearsal and go, look, give me a try? Yeah, I just said, give me a go. Yeah, and then um, you go, this yeah. I actually don't sound too bad. I'm going. <laughs> well, I didn't sound that good, but I went and had lessons, and I really tried hard at it. Yeah, but I, yeah. I didn't think. I didn't think I was all that natural at it. Right. So I just have my own own sort of way. But so who's in that band where you start singing? Uh, That's the same guy. Yeah, gotcha. But, okay. Yeah. And so we, how long does that go on for? It goes on for a few years, but we played one night. We we got a residency at the Richmond Club Hotel in Swan Street. Yeah. Opposite the corner. Yeah. So we used to play there. And any time a band would drop out or whatever, they'd ring us and we'd just always go down and play. Because <laughs> everyone lived nearby. How good's that? How good's that? <laughs> <laughs> it was good and bad sometimes. Yeah. So but one night we played there and there was a band supporting us called Politeness Man. And that had Glenn Lewis, who's from Violetine. Yeah. And um, who now plays with Mick Harvey. Yeah. And and Steve Lester, who was Violetine's drummer. And we arrived and walked in and there was this band and they just they sounded unbelievable. And we went, oh, my God, we've got to go on after these guys. And they had all these people there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not <laughs> a one ni- of their first years. Yeah, it's not a nice feeling, is it? <laughs> no, nah, they bought. It was their first show, so they had. It was just packed, and everyone was just going crazy. And we're like, "Oh, great!" Yeah. And we went on because we, you know, had played there a lot, so not many people had come and see us. So every, but, uh, everybody uh, had left after they played, did they? Well, they were all just going. There. Everyone went for a drink in the front bar, and you know, That's a it. couple of people watched us. <laughs> but the but the band loved us. Yeah. And that was the night that I met Glenn right. Lewis. Okay, and he he really liked what we did, and I thought they were fantastic. So were they a three we just, pe- were they a three piece band? Yeah, they were. They were three piece. Isn't it well, interesting? Yeah. So he actually had this affinity for a three a trio. Yeah. Yeah, but he was the guitar player. He's a really good guitar player as well. Well, well I didn't know that because I, I consider him a really good bass player. He's an incredible bass player, but he was, he was just as good a guitar player. Swept. Okay, but he he always just. So let's have a jam, I'll play bass, you know. Yeah. We said that for ages. And then one day we did. Yeah. And then that was that was the start of Violetine. So that was it. You said, ditch those guys, let's start this band. 
and uh, well, you ditched your guys. What actually happened was we had a few Sunday sessions and it sounded great. Glenn just borrowed someone's friend's bass. We didn't, he didn't even have a bass guitar. We yeah. borrowed, borrowed an amp and the jam sounded really good. So I um, paid for us to go to Hot House and, and just do some songs. Yeah, was that with Craig Harness? Craig was actually with Craig's assistant and Craig was very nice and gave us the place for next to nothing. Yeah. And Craig's assistant recorded us and I paid for it. Yeah. So we still had the other bands going, but then I started shopping it around. Yeah. And we decided to play a few gigs and really quickly we got picked up by Mushroom. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, when you're hot, you're hot and that's that. Um, if, yeah, if you so think- we got signed really quickly. It all happened quite quickly and we weren't in, you know, we still had our other bands going, so... Well, it was a big, don't you agree, it was a big sound for three guys. It was, Mm. you delivered a big sound. And the ability to deliver the big sound and then actually, and I'm talking live because we can do what we want in the studio, um, and then also deliver the lead breaks in there and it still kind of sounded big. And that's difficult to do. I changed changed my lead to not being so much a lead break as having more notes sort of, you know, like, almost picking sort of breaks yep. in there yep. so, yep. so that it didn't sound empty when I wasn't playing. And, I mean, those guitars became... of yours were bloody big sounds, so big sounds yeah. from those guitars. And, yeah, so I get what you're saying, yeah, you, it's not essentially just a lead break, it's actually interwined. Yeah, you know. because I remember when, the day it all changed when I was doing that demo, I actually had done one particular song and I'd done like a, a lead break like I would have used to have done, yeah. you know, and I went, no, oh, that sounds it sounds a little bit not only dated, it's not fitting the music, I'll mm. try this sort of note-picking sort of break, and, it, and I went, wow, that, that worked really well, and then that became my thing. Yeah, and I think it, it I know exactly what you're saying, because I can listen to it in my head going, yeah, so... You know, using multiple strings at one time and that sort of thing, rather than just the the picking out notes yeah, and yeah, yeah. Well, holding well, them. Well, because if you think of Rush... Um, being the quintessential trio, and yeah. but they do the specific lead breaks. Um, yeah, that's and, right. You know, it's a different sound altogether. Um, so yeah. therefore, you're picked up by Mushroom. So things are going pretty yeah. good. I mean, you must be going, oh, we're on our way. I do. I think. Yeah, I, I, I was. Uh, yeah. I don't think I've ever been as excited as when that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I remember supporting you once at. Oh, the first was at the Prince of Wales. Yeah. And I thought, wow, these guys sound absolutely fantastic. And yeah, well, so, we always used to request the fly charmers. Yeah, well, you know, and someone said, oh, they're signed to, to Mushroom. And I go, well, I can hear why. And so tell me, how long did it take you to start building an audience? Because I remember seeing um, you at the Ger- well, playing with you at the Gershwin Room, and there must have been 500 people in there. Yeah. I, I guess once we had. Um, Triple J started playing songs that could go nationwide. Mm. Then we just started, you know, touring as much as we could. And then when you, you just noticed the power of, you know, this, the national radio station yeah. was going anywhere we wanted and pretty exciting the first time you see someone sort of mouthing the words to your songs and yeah. coming along just to see you and that sort of thing. Did you have so, to think Did you have to think much about or did you never get to that point where you had to think about your whole stage show and what you were delivering or was it more that... No, we just get on stage and we play. Yeah, we, it was more just get on stage and play. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was that indie, I mean, uh, look, I might not be right. I'll probably still put you in that indie Detroit scene and all that kind of stuff, but you might go, no, it's different. But it was just go on and play. It wasn't about having theatrics or a stage no, set. No, we, we were very anti that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
you know, and I don't know if it's to your own detriment. I've done a lot of things that probably to my own detriment, but I, people would always tell me that I didn't speak enough on stage and that, you know, we could do this and we could do that. And it's like, well, just listen to our music. That's yeah. all we wanted. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So so uh, tell us a bit about the um, the trials and tribulations of Violetine because it is trials and tribulations. You could write a book on it. It's a 101 in the music business. What <laughs> happens and what goes wrong? Probably listening to other people a lot. Was, you know, like By the time our first album came out and we'd done all that work, I, I think that the time I really noticed it was when we did New Year's Eve at the Falls Festival one year. I think it was maybe 97. I think we played on and, the same show, but we played obviously <laughs> a lot earlier. Yeah, well, we played, you know, sort of lunchtime a bit after or something like that. Yeah. Then we went back New Year's Eve the following year yeah. and we we filled one of the tents there and we yeah. were like, wow. That was the first time I noticed a real difference in what was happening. Yeah. You know, we had had all the momentum behind us and I yeah. was like, that was, you know, I actually felt after that show that we were really doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because we knew everyone was had actually come in to see us and it was, we had a great time slot and then we, you know, it sounded great. And did you and have, thought, ma- yeah. and did you have management or were you managing yourself? I was managing us. Yeah. Okay. So okay. that's also one of our downfalls. <laughs> well, 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 it can't look. It, no, Sean, it can be, and it can't be. You know, I mean, no. It was of, when we signed, when we actually got a manager. I'm saying. Oh yeah, when you yeah yeah because uh, <laughs> a lot of bands I talk to, uh, my problem is I'm too honest. Yeah. And uh, you sure? Yeah, you can be, but that's you know. Well, that's, I think that's, that's a manager. It's so hard to find an honest manager. You know. Yeah. It just goes skew. If so, all right, let's keep on the trials and tribulations of Violetine. So what's happening? So our um, debut album got done mm. and, and that was coming out and Mushroom hadn't re-signed us. We were signed for a couple of EPs and an album. Yep. And as our debut album was coming out, there were other bands that Mushroom was signing. That I don't know if you remember a band called Finiscad. I remember Finiscad very well. Yeah. yeah. And I always use them as a comparison because we were like, Given thirty thousand dollars for our, you know, our budget, and they were this new act that no one had ever heard of, and they were given like two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, and quite never, a bit. And never went then. anywhere either. Yeah, <laughs> well, they didn't, and that's the thing. We ended up with, you know, our album did a lot better, mm. and we were like, well, you know, we feel like we're being sort of ripped off a little bit here yeah. with this sort of attention, but we've done all this work. We're unsigned, and Sony heard about that, so. Then they came along and um, offered us a contract, and then a sort of bidding war started between them and Mushroom. Isn't that incredible that you have to get to that stage, and it's your career, and all of that's going on, and it, you know, time's just ticking every day that that goes on. Right. So yeah. who, who wins once, the bidding? Well, once that, well, Sony, because <laughs> Michael Zinsky actually flew to Sydney and surprised us without, we didn't know that he was arriving. We got, we got asked to go out to dinner for it because we were saying goodbye to the mushroom people. Yeah. And Michael actually arrived and we're like, oh God. And he's actually come and to try and talk us out of going with Sony. Yeah. And I'd met him before, but just briefly and he sat down and he just, you know, sort of you know, told us his case, why we thought we should stay. And I said, well, look, to be honest, this is the first time that you've actually paid attention to us mm-hmm. <laughs> is when we're going. And he said, you've got to understand, Sean, this is big business and this is this is what happens in business. Mm-hmm. And, I was, uh, and I just thought, you know, I, in hindsight, he was probably right. But um, at the time, we just thought, well, we'd rather go with someone that, you know, thinks that we're going to go further than we are now rather than someone that's trying to hang on to us. Did you did you meet Dennis Hanley? much. Did, I did. Was Dennis involved in trying to get you across? Um, no, he wasn't. 
there at that time, but he, when we signed with him, he was there. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd actually disappeared for a while. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, whatever we know about Dennis, still, I oh, got to hand it to that guy. He knew how to yeah. break, break an act. Yeah. So what happens at Sony? So Michael's saying there's a big announcement at Mushroom. You know, you should stay. And we, we, we you know, armed and hard and, you know, sort of did our for and against. And we ended up going signing Sony. Yeah. And then Paul Batico's management company, who started Powderfinger and yeah. a few bands at that stage, I think. Something for Kate. Not uh, from there, big, a few big, other yeah. bands. Paul Patico, well known. Yeah. Yeah, they they came on board and and like I said they managed us. Yeah, and that then that was the start of the, that would have been the peak of everything if you could do it in the graph. And then yeah. you just see the line plummet <laughs> after all that. <laughs> is that because is that because you hadn't recorded new material yet, so you didn't have stuff to drop? No, on we the did. We went. No, we went and re- recorded. But the first thing Sony wanted to do was re-release things that had already been done. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Off our debut album. They wanted to re-release any day. And we went, that's been done independently. It did really well. Yeah. And they said, oh, we think it's a commercial hit. And we said, well, we don't really care about commercial hits. Yeah. But which you shouldn't say to someone no. like Sony. No. That's what I was thinking. No. We're a bit out of our depth here. Yeah. So they re-recorded, uh, remixed any day yeah. with Kevin Shirley in America and redid the film clip. Yeah. <laughs> We already had a film clip. It was already mixed. And they redid all that and then presented to commercial radio. And commercial radio said, we've already heard this and we didn't play it then. So Remember, let's, let's remind everybody listening, every step of the way there, it would have been recoupable. The video would have been 50% recoupable. But who cares? Because back then we were spending big money on videos. Correct. Right? So you're in yep. debt to the hilt already. And I didn't even know how much debt I was getting in because along the way... Sony were also flying us to Sydney just for the day to like meet people and that sort of thing. It's all, rec- all recoupable. Taking us out to dinner at the Iguana Bar and buying all sorts of things, which I all found later on on our bill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, interestingly, if the only way it should be recoupable if it was towards recording, if it was for marketing and promo, yeah, that's not recoupable and that's their cost. But I'll guarantee you. They were putting those airfares on to recording yep, budget. Yeah, they put everything on. Yeah, they right. did, and it's, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know that. It's criminal, my friend. Criminal. Um, yeah, and, and you know, and that is the big corporate world of the um, in the music business of the majors. They live to support the upper echelons of the executive level in those companies. Yeah, you know, just you're just dirt, and you, the guy, the musicians that are, are making the dollars for them. To sustain their living and lifestyle, um, just get thrown, you know, to the wolves Correct. when they're finished with you. Yeah. So you're at Sony and things aren't going too well, good, are they? So before I left Mushroom, there were people like you know Eleanor McKay, who yeah. you know yeah. people that rang me and they and she worked for Dennis for years as his right hand woman. Yeah, and I know people Eleanor saying, well. Yeah, so she said, Sean, I'm just telling you this. You know, you can take my advice. And she said. These people will eat you up and say they're not people of their word. And she gave me all these warnings. She said, I'm not saying this so you stay at Mushroom. I'm just saying so you know. Yeah. You know, and, and I ignored yeah. quite a few people that said things like that. And then one day I was having a drink with one of the Melbourne A&R guy, Dave Warner. Oh, yeah, Dave Warner, yeah. In South Melbourne. And my phone rang. And it was John O'Donnell, who's yeah. head of Australian Arts Division at Sony. And he said, can I please speak to Dave? So 
I said, yeah, no worries. He said, I believe you're with him. So I gave Dave the phone and I just saw this look on Dave's face and he handed me the phone back and he said, I just got sacked. I said, what? And he said, yeah, John O'Donnell just, John just said. Don't, don't you love yeah. that? Think about exactly what you just said. Imagine yeah. firing someone like that today. I'd have you up on unfair dismissal Correct. claims and I'd be suing the shit out of you. Yep. And now, so, how dare you do it over the phone then? And on your phone, yeah, over my, you? over my, phone. Over my phone. And he, not only that, he said, I want you to go back now and clear your desk because oh. we've got people coming down from head office and we don't want to see you there. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, when? Two weeks? He said, no, now, today. Yeah, fantastic. And when, I, when, when that happened, I just felt like there was an axe swinging yeah. over everyone's yeah. head the whole yeah. time and I realised that that's how everyone in that office sort of feels. Yeah. And that's what yeah. they do to try and, you know, they think that they're getting productivity out of people. I, I, really I've heard just, that story many times, by the way. Uh, you know, on diff, not about you, about all other artists, and it, mm. you know, you, you're championing a and R man in the company at that yep. time gets sacked. That's that it. You're, you're finished. All right. And he was there was only he, there was two of them championing us, yep. and that's what you need in a record company, yep. and that's what I worked out. Yeah. <laughs> and at Mushroom, everyone would you know was would do that because. So well, much more of a family atmosphere. Yeah, well, it's a more a f- it's a more a family atmosphere. It was um, much more, and because I was managing, then I was going in there and I knew everyone. And yeah, yeah, it was. You know, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, that, that I, was I, our decision to I, leave that. I know Michael ex- better than anybody. All right, Cause I yeah. worked so closely with him, with Phil Jacobs, mm. and whatever. There is the good points and there's the shocking points, mate. So of course, he's no different. He's still a businessman. Um, so yeah. um, okay, the Sony thing. That's it. Is that where it falls apart? No. Well, what? No. What happens after that was we then recorded our first album for Sony. Right. Which is called? Which was well, it it, it actually never came out. <laughs> And that's why we released it not long ago as the one that never came out. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> because on the eve of mixing it, yeah, we went to Sydney. Yeah. We had our producer, Keith Cleversley, flown in from America. He was in his hotel room. We had 301 booked the next day, ready, all ready to, to mix. Yeah. And oh, our to, manager to mix, arrived. So you'd, so you'd recorded it, you just had to mix it. Yeah, we recorded it all. We recorded it at several sessions. took yeah. ages. And yeah. I spent a, a fortune on it and... Our manager arrived at our hotel room and said, we've got to go for a drink. And we're like, what's going on? He said, I was talking about recording tomorrow. And then he hit the switch, you've been dropped. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Without, without, even, without even doing the record for them. That's fantastic. And we said, what happened? He said, he said, well, John O'Donnell got back from America last week mm. and he was told that anyone without a track record or that hadn't made money in the last financial year, just draw a line through them. So 50 acts to drop. That's fantastic. Just yeah. So you've got all, you got this recording. So it doesn't so get mixed. Does work, it get mixed? It no, it never gets mixed. Right. Okay. So that's So that. with you, with Laneway, we release yeah. it. They're, they're the desk mixers. They're just, yeah, yeah. Wayne Connolly just mixes off the desk. Yeah, gotcha. So <laughs> never, never gets mixed. You've been dropped. And you think I've been dropped. I, I get in my car at four in the morning because I just can't. My head's just yeah. like spinning, and I drive back to Melbourne, just going, "What the, what the hell's going on?" Yeah. So what happens? Well, they basically own us and all of our material, and then we get a bill for four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I go to our our Paul O'Gorman, our lawyer, yeah. and he said. Yep, they're in breach of contract, but what are you going to do, take one of the biggest multinationals in the world to court? 
Yeah. And I was absolutely furious. I was like, yes, let's fight them. And <laughs> Well, you know, funny you, funny you would say that because, yes, obviously they were in breach. And I had a similar situation. If you ever remember the band The Slow Club um, and The Slow yeah, Club. Yeah, I remember the yeah, 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 I do. They had like one top 20 hit. And we had the guitarist from the band Japan in there, right? Yeah. Anyway, they they got dropped by Virgin because Virgin got bought by EMI. I think it was EMI. Then they signed Andrew the singer and we're off recording and doing everything. That's right. No, it was still Virgin, dropped the slow club um, and he's recording and the same situation. They get bought by EMI. They go, right, you're dropped. And at the time, I was very good friends with a, uh, a lawyer called Bruno Charlesworth. He goes, oh, that's, that's uh, you know, that's not on... Yeah, they've broken their agreement. That, so that breach, yeah. Yeah, and he goes, let's uh, let's take him to court. And I said, well, you know, Andrew doesn't have any money. But he goes, that's okay. We'll do it pro bono. So we took him to court, and huh. um, and we won. And uh, but he, you know, he only got like ten thousand dollars. And well, uh, they that, that, they offered us twenty grand to leave. Right. <laughs> and Paul said, Paul said, in my opinion, I'd just take the twenty grand yeah. and go. And yeah. I. Was, you know, yeah, I, I, I would just, too. You know, yeah. To, to, if, if if they'd released it, if they'd mixed, like, I don't know why they spent so much tracking it. Why not mix it, see how it goes? But yeah. they they're so ruthless. You know, as I'd seen with what happened to Dave over the phone, it was yeah. just like when they say no, put a line through it, then yeah. everyone yeah. goes. So you just took the twenty. I know I would have taken the twenty grand too. Did you take the twenty? grand? We took the twenty grand. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. And uh, off you go. So now you're on your own again. You've you're yeah. pretty well a seasoned musician. When you think about all of that, you're a really yeah. seasoned musician who knows what the business is like. Well, and, what, also, are, you do, what with, are you going to do, Sean? Well, with that contract as well, I should add, which is pretty funny, that I got the bill, like I said, then all the, the, the flights, the lunches, the everything was on there. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> what? <laughs> $430,000. And then my it said that they agreed to the contract that I have to pay it back five cents in the dollar. Yeah. For the rest of my life. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> and then it was like two cents in the dollar after I'm dead or something. Yeah, it was yeah. just some ridiculous sort of, oh, yeah. <laughs> no one polices it or anything. But yeah. yeah. Then I just then I just started writing things for myself. But was Violetine yeah, but hold on, was Violetine still going? Or no, did you just that was that, that was, was it. it. That was yeah. Well, so you and Glenn tried, got together and you go, That's it, let's No, just... we argued, we we it's it, it tore us apart. Yeah, gotcha. We've we've been through lots of things, different lineup changes and companies, and you know, self management and all that, and yeah. that was just it got a bit much. Okay, so it stops there. Do you take a break yeah. for a year or two? Well, no, I just kept writing, which. Probably, but did you, you know, but did you play live though? Did you take a break from playing live? No, no, I just I actually got went up to Byron and by myself and just took my four track and just started writing songs. Did you play live <laughs> though anywhere? Yeah, yeah, a little bit afterwards. Yeah. Okay. With and with Andy Strachan who's the living end drummer now. We yeah. started a bit of a band. Yeah. For a little while. Yeah. Okay, so let's I know the band, so uh, she's the driver eventually. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether that's just you but you've you've uh, put an alter ego together. She's the driver. Yeah. Yeah, it was just it was it was me playing just a guitar that went through two amps, a bass amp and a guitar amp originally. Yeah, but then you and put a, then you put a trio up. together. We're back to the trio because well, we did it as two of us for two or three albums. Yeah, you and, and then the, you and the bass player, it, or you and the drummer. No, 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 just me and the drummer. Yeah, and then when I met you, yeah. then, then that's when that's when the bass player started playing right. with us. 
And then, look, and it, um, for everybody listening, it, it was a weird, I found it a weird time because I couldn't connect with She's the Driver. It's not... Yeah, I, you should I, re- revisit our first record. Yeah, uh, that will. was my very first thing after we did, and it was mixed by Greg Wales. And yeah. then everything after that was actually me learning to record. I did it all out. No, I was just yeah. over everyone and everything, so... Yeah, because, yeah. you know... So I, it's that kind of, because I, I know the Violetine stuff so well because we played with it so many times. But um, yeah. but then I, I went, no, I can't. I, I, you know what I found, Sean, is She's the Driver didn't have its own identity. Um, yeah, I, I was just anti-everything. So. Yeah, yeah, and it pre- pretty well comes pretty well comes out. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care about, you, you know, like I was so, I put so much into what I'd done previously. Yeah. It's almost like I, I didn't want anyone to like us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably doesn't might not make sense to people, but I just wanted to just do what I wanted to but do. But you were pretty prolific, though. I mean, there's a lot of she, you know, quite a few she the driver records. Yeah, so you're pretty I never prolific. Yeah, so you know, and um, there's some good songs amongst them. You know, I'll have another listen today. I'm going to go through those because see, I consider Violetine didn't actually have any bad songs. Not that there's, there's a lot. Let's put it together. There's probably two albums and two EPs and a couple of yeah, singles. Yeah, you've got to also remember with Violetine, there were two of us writing, and that, having that luxury, you know, yeah. it, it was, that's what made, I don't know, stamped out a lot of the... I think the, it stamps out the, 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 the... Well, it stamps out the ego, because I was talking to another musician the other day who sent me a new track, and I said, that's a beautiful track. I said, but it needs some texture in it. And he said, what do you think? I said, well, why don't you do this, this, and this, and he's gone away, and he's doing it, whatever. I think if you're on your own, you sit there and go, well, I don't think that sounds okay. And you can never ask your friends, what do you think of the song? Because you know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It's yeah. the best thing you've ever written. You know, that's all bullshit. Um, so, yeah, no, know, that's, yeah I, I'd, I'd never thought of it that way, but it is true because we yeah. used to... We, we, that, we used to just filter each other yeah. all the time when there yeah. was two of us writing. Well, there's no bad songs. The Violetine, the Violetine material, there isn't any There isn't any bad tracks. Yeah. They're all good tracks. So, we okay, so we go through She's the Driver. Then... Which is me experimenting a lot and and being self-indulgent as well and also learning to record at the same time. So, you know, my head was in a lot of places, but I just kept, you know, writing ideas. And Well, that comes to an I end. Had, well, that comes to an end, right? And yeah. And you kind of go, that part of my life in music, I've yeah. finished there because I thought one day, you know, I kind of think you said to me, no, I'm not doing that anymore. And I go, yeah. right, what are you going to do? You go, you got to know when you got to know when something's over. Maybe I should have. Ah, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Exactly. And then I I remember you going, have a listen to this. I've I've been working on some new stuff. I think it was acoustically. I went, oh, that sounds fantastic. I said, that's great. And you go, yeah, I'm I'm thinking. So there was that (laughs) kind of happening, but then it never happened. Then the next thing I knew, you go, "I'm, I'm recording something completely new. I'm using Andy too. Yeah. Uh, I got my partner, the real white stripes thing, Alicia, involved. Yeah. I go, I thought, well, that's good because there's this, um, you could already see that there was this, uh, is a kind of little family kind of forming. And and then when I heard the material, I think it's the best material you've written in, uh, it's a, it'd be 15 years since Violetine, yeah. that's for sure, longer. 20 yeah, years. Uh, yeah, probably yeah, 20 years. <laughs> And, I like thinking and this is the best material you've written since then, Thank I, you. I personally think. And each track is a really good track. Of course, 
we're in a new. Well, I didn't sit. We didn't sit down and you know do the band thing and yeah. It was just I was actually recording other bands. You know the bands I have on the label, Fuzz Rays and yeah. Fuzz and the Pickups and these young bands. And then they would leave after a day, and Alicia and I would sit there and I just put ideas down. So yeah. it wasn't like this forced effort to try and do a record or anything. It was just when we had time and we, it was just enjoyable. And I and think you're in control because even from the yeah. videos, you can bring Andy in. Or it's yeah. just you two, you're in control, and I think yeah. I can see a lot, you're a lot more relaxed in what you're doing. I can actually feel it when I talk to you, you're a lot more relaxed. And Yeah, well, I'm not um, trying to do anything, so. You know, and I think um, if we if we talk a little bit about what you think about the industry now, because I, 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 you know, look, I get the usual. Oh, it was so good then, physical product and digital's shit and you get ripped off. Well, mate, I'll rip you off with physical. You know, I was explaining this the other day yeah. to someone to say, well, you know, if you were on 18%, some of them were on 13% of wholesale. Then I go, what's the wholesale price? Now, remember, I had to do all this. Uh, what's yeah. the wholesale price? Well, the full wholesale price used to be like $12.96 and that's when it just came out. And if it wasn't successful, within six months, I'd be selling that off yep. for four ninety five wholesale or four ninety six, and then yep. I'll take eighteen percent of that, and you're getting about sixty nine cents. Yeah, yep. exactly. And then you put your costs on well, top well, of that. Now, that's why what you've done, you know, I think what you've done has come along at a really great time for a, a lot of you know sort of older Australian artists because there's just this big. You know, I remember with even things like Airplay, like Triple Dre, and we did one single with Sony, and it was a little bit of a, but not, a lot of under, people understood it because it sped up and slowed down. That's not yeah. Crush. Oh, yeah, 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 Crush. And, and you know, it wasn't taking off like Sony wanted and that sort of thing. That was the one single we did with them that was our, you know, like a new song. Yeah. And when people like that that have supported you for a long time all of a sudden don't, you're left in a bit of this wasteland. Mm, mm. It, if that if that was your crowd and and you know your audience, mm. then it's almost like no one knows what you're doing. No, that's right. So you know, I uh, think for a few, you know, a lot of yeah, Australian look, artists I, that that sort of was for a while, but now it's sort of changing around with you know things like you're doing, yeah, and making making people feel relevant again. Well, if you if you you know, it's trying to educate a lot of musicians too, and I've had to educate myself because I'm no young you know I'm no young guy. I'm 62, so. You know, yeah. there's no, you know, very difficult even to talk to bands in their 40s who go, yeah. you, you know, well, what can you bring? And I go, well, hold on, what are your expectations? And because I'm waiting for them to hear, well, we want to break as an act. And, I, you know, I don't want to have to laugh because that's not going to happen. We have to realise that unless we're an established act and had commercial yeah. success, there is no way you are going to break an act in their 40s. It's not going to yeah, happen. Correct. The system, it's not me, the system doesn't allow it. And because no. we're in a new digital world, those young people, let's see buzzing the pickups and the fuzz rays, yeah. anybody in their early 20s, they know how to viral their own music. They, their yeah. fans do it instinctively. And so, yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and we don't have that. So, you know. No, you, and you just have, you have to modify your expectations exactly. too, which I've, which I've done, and, and you've got to be happy. And at the end of the day, you know. Well, I think you think look what, at your video. You want out of it. If you look at your video at the moment, Sean, which is um, Glam Fan, uh, and you have a look at what it's doing, it's starting to get around a thousand streams a day on the video. Yeah. Um, the audio. Uh, 
I'm, I'm not quite sure where that's at. And that's a lot more difficult because we've got to try and get it on playlists. Radio doesn't exist in yeah. any form, community or anything. It doesn't exist to give you any stream. So we've got to try and get it on playlists. But the video yeah. is doing quite well. And on those kind of figures, I would suspect the video will do twenty or 30,000 streams. Um, yeah. And there's an impetus there. It starts off... but. What I do have to say to artists all the time is, you know, it can't be lame way doing everything. We we just can't because it's yeah, it's too you do your part. it's too bland. They you know they know that well you're not the actual artist and you the artist have to be involved. Now if you don't do social media, which a lot of artists don't, that's where it sits. Yeah, I don't. Right, I know <laughs> you don't, and it, that's where it sits. And you you go with that, and you know trying to do live shows is near impossible. Um, you know, for the older artists, there's there's the established older artist. So if you were to do a Violetine show, yeah, you'll get punters there. If it's yeah. the new band where the kill sounds, well, you won't because people go, well, who are they, right? I know. But, so, uh, but I'm, ha- I'm happy just creating and having, having it be able to put out there because I also, a lot of my time these days, more time spent is doing young bands and I, mm. I never thought I'd get so much enjoyment out of recording. I used to sit there with producers and go, how can you listen to my song yeah. 3,000 times over and how can you yeah. – and, and you get – you know, I, I get that enjoyment of doing my own things out of helping produce young bands. So, and, Well, I think you know, that's come out in your music in this new album that will culminate in an album by the end of the year is you yeah. can actually feel that, that there's a more relaxed approach to, to the music – it's more organic. There's a lot of texture and colour in the music. Um, yeah. I love having, you know, seen the videos with Alicia there. It blends I've nicely. I've got some of those you. young guys playing on songs as well fantastic. later on in the album. Yeah, fantastic. And so, you know, I mean, I think that the next couple of albums for you are, are just going to be sensational. You know, they'll be classics for you anyway because I can already see it in, in what you're doing now. And stop, stop putting pressure on me. Well, no, there's a bit of, there's a, bit of a, a change. There's a bit of a change in from what you've done in the last 15 years to yeah. back to what Violetine was. Um, yeah. And that's where I kind of see well, it. I, did, I, tried, I tried to get away from that for a long time. I would imagine you would have, yeah. You yeah. Know. But you can't get away from good music, and Violetine no. sounds as good today as it did back then, and that's a te- that's a real test, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah, to try and do that. Um, you know, yeah, so- it's funny because everyone talks about the you know the, like the late nineties sound and stuff, and at the time it was it wasn't like there was a, a conscious thought that anyone thought we were sounding like that. But then when you listen back, you know, a lot of the acts we were playing with, you know, there's is a real particular sound. It's a quintessential Australian indie sound of the late nineties. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Um, it's yeah. very unique to Australia. Yeah. I think you. I think you're American, and so you know, if you had I had your time again, and I was there, I'd go right, pack your bags. You're going to. You got to go and live in America for twelve months. And it's well, we got really we got offered. We got we got offered. You know, by bands to go. You get yourselves over here, and you know, Buffalo Tom to get yourself yep. over here. Yep take you on tour there's a few bands that offered that sort of thing and you know look at the time i know they're hard just what no they're when i get it they're hard decisions at the time really difficult because you've got to pack up and just go but yeah come up with the money yeah in this business that's what you have to do and you can't Mm. you know i say this in the nicest possible way to artists you can't have girlfriends or a wife or kids you cannot not at that stage because it is all the music that comes later, and you, I yeah. think, I think you guys would have 
uh, really broken in the States um, and it would have, you know, just taken tour after tour. But remember, you know, you go to the States, you can do 52 dates continuously. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, look, I've, I've so many friends that have yeah, been over and lived there and tried that. And, you know, some have done well. Living End did pretty well. Yeah, absolutely, they Super did. Super Jesus did yeah. not so well, no. you know. Well, so we, we, we spent a lot powder of money. Fing- Powderfinger, they didn't, no one, no. you know, we were Powderfinger's management. Paul Patico got a, rented an office there, slept on the on the couch for like years trying yeah. to break Powderfinger. No, no one ever understood them over there. No, that's right. We sent Jimmy Barnes over, you know, back in the yeah. day. We spent a fortune and there was, we couldn't get a crack. I remember, a yeah, they didn't get it. Yeah, couldn't get a cracker going. And, you know, mm. and, you know, everybody say Michael was always after the big number one in America. Well, he was, but I'm telling you, I sat in the room with him and we chuckled about it many times where yeah. it wasn't going to happen, right? And we knew it wasn't going to happen because they were against you over there. They weren't going to let a, a, a label from down under come in and have a number one hit in America. That wasn't going to be allowed, I can tell you. No, but even if you can find a niche there, there's, you know, so much it's scope huge. for touring for a yeah. long time over yeah. there, you know. Yeah, yeah, huge when you can do that. So, you know. But I think we're, sorry. On. Yeah, well, I was going to say that. Gonna um, say, go on, continue. Uh, while you were talking before, you know, like even in Australia, I think because we had one album that did well, we needed, if we had two or three, then we'd be able to still do like, you know, Spider Bait and Magic Dirt, all those bands do go out now and still have that. Yeah, uh, that sort of fan base, but yeah, one one record wasn't enough for people in Australia. No, look, I uh, doing an interview with Kent Kent from the Rifles, and he said that they they should have just moved to America and stayed there. They did quite a few shows in uh, in America and quite a, a lot of shows in Europe, but yeah. there wasn't the consistency, and they made every mistake in the book. And management was a problem. Everything it would always culminate in a disaster in the end. Yeah, you know. Whereas again. You would have thought that they would have been the real college circuit kind of band, but as he said, yeah. well, no, that was the Hoodoo Gurus because college circuit. Yeah, yeah, uh, the Hoodoo Gurus took that over, you know, and did so well yeah. over there with it. But uh, and the Hunters actually did really well also. But you know, it's luck of the draw, and it, you know, and it's the decisions you make at the time. But uh, yeah, but you know, I think with everything you're doing now at the moment, Sean, it's fantastic. We're really excited about the new Thank music, you. and I think even the quality of the videos that you're making, this ability to make your own videos, is just fantastic. Um, oh, thanks. Adds a whole I've new only dimension. That. Well, that's right. Yeah, you, I'm you, really enjoying that. Isn't that interesting? That you know, it was something that was. 20 years ago, unheard of. Yeah. There's not a hope of putting your own video together. If it was, no. it'd be so amateurish, it, you know, you'd be a bit, you, you know, kind of go, no, I don't really want that yeah. to come out. Yeah, well, even recording, because like the last well, I've seen recording was on two-inch tape. Yeah. <laughs> and we were in that whole transition period, you know. Yeah. I yeah. remember sitting even, you know, with Paul McKercher, who's a who's producer, and he's he doesn't know how to use Pro Tools at that stage. And now everyone, you know, is, is all over it and has to do that. But we well, were just yeah, in that stage where you had to spend money. Well, think about you couldn't, it. Couldn't couldn't be as self sufficient as you no. can now. Well, Sing Sing got sold to uh, yeah. Boxill TAFE. Now Sing Sing, the old Platinum, which was Sing Sing South, is yeah. finishing up Chapter because the three. lease yeah. the lease is all over. So Kai is. Um, selling off everything there. And yeah, so, you know, um, there isn't any really big studios like that left here. It's, it's no, individual, single operators. And in Sydney, you've got 301s, but that's owned by the, whoever that school is, the guy that owns yeah. the school. Yeah, you know, there's it's, one in Byron. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really becoming a, everybody I talk to, 
are starting to learn how to do it all themselves because mm. it gives you the flexibility to do it when you feel right about it. It's not forced. So if I've got a vibe no. at any time, two in the morning, I can go up and I can put the track down or put my idea yeah. down. And then Yeah, we used to have to go in with everything finished. If oh. you didn't like your vocal take, you'd have to book again, yeah. you know, if you didn't yeah. have enough time. It was, yeah, there was a well, lot of what about, you know, pre, what about pre-production? Well, there's another 20, yeah. 20 grand. Yeah. Yeah, you know I mean. Another just... thing. Well, that's another thing. Sony got us to do pre-production with Jim Magini for Midnight Oil. Yeah. And that, you know, that went on the bill. Of, I can't, <laughs> can't even know much. Of a, imagine a <laughs> really good studio with us and Jim yeah. for, you know, seven or ten days sitting there, which, you know, it was great working with him, but it didn't really change our song that much. But uh, just whack another 30 grand on the bill. <laughs> oh, look, you know, I, I remember going to Rhino Studios back in the day, um, you know, which in excess owned in Sydney, it was the yeah. Taj Mahal of Studios and you were yeah, talking two to three grand a day. That was your daily yeah. rate. I mean, at, at AAV, yeah. we were paying 1200 to 2000 a day at AAV yeah. here in Melbourne. I mean, that's huge dollars when you think, well, we'll yeah. book in for 60 days or even for 30 days, uh, you yeah. know. And that's without, and that's without your produ- your, uh, your without engineer the and the producer, yeah. right? Because you get yeah. an assistant, but you want to pick your own engineer, so that's costs yeah. on top, and just crazy yeah, it's figures. Another thousand a day, you know. And then I think about what you can produce out of your studio and the sound you can yeah. get out of that small studio, and I think, well, to me that sounds world class, you know. It just yeah. sounds good. So yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's a different world. But anyway, it's been fantastic catching up with you, Sean, and. Actually, finding about out about Brighton, you know, and we look forward to a lot of new product. Everybody listening, we are the Kill Sounds is the new product from Sean, and there's essentially we release a new song nearly every month uh, for the rest of the year. Okay, Sean, it's great talking to you. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Vincent. See you, mate. Bye. See ya. Bye. G'day folks, Mark Allen here and The Ox, David Schwartz uh, And we've started a brand new podcast called A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers And we're just chewing the fat A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With Ox and Marco I'm thinking about whitening my teeth Just so when I smile There's a new episode every Wednesday Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do <laughs> It's a stupid loaded question A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With David Schwartz and Mark Allen I'm eating the kids Maltese You're eating their of... Christmas present I am a piece of garbage <laughs> Listen wherever you get your podcasts